Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. So I recently uh, came across a wise statement from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> so this is what he says. It is more fun to talk to someone who doesn't use long, difficult words, but rather short, easy words. Like, what about lunch? Yeah. Amen? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, he could be describing James, which we're going to take the aerial view of this morning as a church. If you have a Bible, you can actually turn to James with me this morning. James is a brother of Jesus. And just like his brother, James doesn't use long, difficult words. He's earthy. He's uncomplicated. He uses everyday farming illustrations, just like Jesus, to make his point. James is simple. He's never simplistic. But he is simple. He's practical. His words land on the ground. He's not esoteric. Sorry, that's a big word. Those come from me, and I apologize. Uh, So New Testament scholar Gordon Fee actually says this. As with all Jewish wisdom, the concern is not doctrinal or logical, but practical. The test of its truthfulness has to do with how it works out in the reality of everyday life. And as you just saw, I tend to use long, difficult words. I tend to overcomplicate my walk with Jesus. I tend to lose the big picture for the minutia. I tend to lock up my faith in my head or even in my heart. And very seldom does it flow naturally to my hands. And I long to have a simple faith marked by sustainable action. Is that your longing this morning? Do you long to have a simple faith marked by sustainable action? This morning I'm glad to be exploring James with you all for this reason. But first, let's just pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you? And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you... Open the eyes of our hearts so that supernaturally, without our power, we could see Jesus in His beauty. We could see Jesus in His good authority. And that we could actually worship this morning. That our hearts would actually sing of Jesus this morning. And Lord, that we would be expected for change even as we open our hearts before Your Word. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so I'm settling down into my table at the local coffee shop where I love to do most of my studying and writing. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that the barista working at this shop is having a hard time. This barista is having a hard time and needs to sit down to catch her breath. And I've got my computer open and I'm hoping to get some work done. And this barista actually takes a seat right next to me. And I wish I could say I shut my computer and leaned over and helped, or even asked if I could help. 
But I didn't. Instead, two women from across the room spring into action. And I was grateful in my peripheral vision that somebody was taking action. But when it was all over, I had to, in the quiet and honesty of my own reflection, ask, why was I so slow to act? And the irony wasn't lost on me because here I am studying God's love, but slow to act in practical, practical, tangible actions of love. When it's awkward, when it's hard, when it's inconvenient, why am I slow to act? And so eager to study. And it touches on a theme in my life. Too often God is a means of escape from life rather than a means for engagement in life. We could call this temptation of mine spiritual escapism. And I wonder if you could relate. This is whenever we use our faith as a way to escape the challenges of life rather than engage the challenges of life. This is when we use our faith to escape the earthiness of life rather than Oh, means to engage the earthiness of life. To escape the inconveniences of life rather than as a means to engage the inconveniences of life. The demands of relationships rather than engage the demands of relationships. So some of us escape into thoughts. We escape into ideas about Jesus and our mastery or our so-thought mastery of Jesus and the things of Jesus can make us feel a false security, can't it? Some of us are more anxious about our affirmations of faith than our actions that spring from faith. Some of us are more anxious about other folks' affirmations rather than their own actions. Some of us, we feast on articles, we feast on podcasts and books, but we all, if we're honest, feel a longing deep inside of us to be attentive and more attentive to our family members, to our neighbors. Some of us struggle to connect our worship on Sunday to our work on Monday. Some of our spiritual heroes are theologically articulate. Some of our heroes in the faith are culturally insightful, but it turns out are unloving or immature in their relationships. All of these might be symptoms of escapism. We use our faith as an escape hatch. We become more about our internal insights than our external enactments. And I think this temptation harms our witness as God's people. People become disoriented when they're on the receiving end of Christians who are only concerned about right belief and not righteous behavior. It's disorienting. And I want to say that James would share in this disorientation. Like his brother Jesus, James looks around and what rises to the surface of his concern is not inarticulate Christianity. What rises to his concern is spiritual hypocrisy. When mastery of God's word doesn't translate into simple and practical love of neighbor. James actually paints this unforgettable picture in chapter 1 to describe this. Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In other words, mastering the truth but not enacting the truth is like the person who wakes up, looks in the mirror, notices some serious bedhead, okay, but does nothing about it. Here's how Alex Mogan puts it. As for the man with the mirror, off he goes. Okay? Off he goes. But his friends meeting him on his way can tell him that the mirror is not the comb. Alright? The mirror is not the comb or the face flannel, which is a washcloth. I had to look it up. <laughs> and then without these aids, the comb and the washcloth, these aids to gracious living, his devotion to the mirror is in itself without value. Such an earthy illustration, such a simple way of putting it, isn't it? This weekend, I was at my mom's house, and I woke up to take our dog on a walk, and she has a mirror in her, uh, in her sort of entranceway, and I took a quick look in the mirror, and I, I'm okay with going outside on a dog walk with that head, but this was a serious, like, this was like next level, <laughs> kind of like, yeah, it was bad, and I noticed it, and, and I, I just said to myself, I didn't bring a hat, so I opened my mom's uh, closet, and I found a very awkward hat, and I wore that awkward hat outside of my walk. Okay? Here's the thing. One look in the mirror caused a very simple action. It wasn't a complicated action, but it was a simple action. And the same is true with our study of Scripture. Studying the Bible is absolutely vital, but it is not the same thing as loving God and loving neighbor. The mirror is not the calm. Bible trivia winners, seminary students, even seminary professors can be jerks in Jesus' name. The mirror is not the calm, and that is a serious problem for Jesus and his brother James, too. James reminds us that the good news of Jesus is not just for your head or your heart, but it's also for your hands. Put another way, the good news of Jesus should not cause you to escape your world, but engage it. How can we all move from escapism to engagement in our faith? I think if we take the big picture of James, James tells us two things. An engaging faith is free. An engaging faith is freedom. And both are important to grasp this morning if we want to move from escapism to engagement. So the first thing I want to say here is that an engaging faith, a faith that engages, is free. This is an important place to start because it's tempting to read James, if you're familiar with James, through a religious lens. So it's, it's very tempting to say this as we read James. I must do this in order to be okay with God. And why is that a temptation? Because James is all about action. And for whatever reason, when we, when we read about the actions of the faith, we assume that these are actions that we do in order to be right with God. That's our baseline assumption. But that is misreading James. Because threaded throughout this letter is a reminder after a reminder that all is faith. It, that faith is free. 
Right at the beginning, James says that our faith is a gift. Right at the beginning. So in chapter 1, verse 18, James says this, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all He created. Our very faith, our very existence as a Jesus follower, if that's you this morning, was because of a birth that you did not enact. You are a first fruit. You are, you are being grown because of what God has done. It is all gift. It is all free. Later in chapter 4, we get three rapid fire assurances. So in verse 5, James says, Do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? The Lord longs for you. In the next verse, the Lord gives more grace. He gives more grace. And that's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Only when we know our need do we receive more grace. This is a gift. Only The only way that you can actually receive a gift is if you are humble. And the Lord will always draw near. This is the very next verse. Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That is a promise. When you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And a little bit later, James reminds us in chapter 5, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Our salvation, in other words, is not something that we earn or deserve. It is free. In fact, I think it's sad that folks tend to think that the book of James is anti-grace or anti-gift. Because this letter of James would not even exist if it weren't for the free grace of Jesus himself. And so according to John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 5, John says, even his own brothers, that includes James, remember, James, a brother of Jesus, did not believe in him. But according to Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, that didn't offend Jesus or stop Jesus' irresistible pursuit of James. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have passed away. Then he appeared to James. Then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as Paul, as the one abnormally born. This is a magnificent detail. It shows us that nobody is outside the reach of Jesus. James, who, who had really every reason to believe in Jesus as Messiah, but did not. Watched his brother get crucified. And Jesus, in his resurrection body, is sure to appear to James. And James believes. See, Jesus doesn't operate like we do. He doesn't hold grudges or family feuds. In fact, he may just be pursuing you this morning. And you thought the game was up. Our faith is a free gift from God himself. It's a free gift. I don't know if any of you follow F1 
racing, but if you do, you know that there's only 20 seats. There's only 20 seats, 10 teams, two cars each. So there's only 20 seats, and that makes this sport highly competitive. Think about it. Most professional sports has like a lot more opportunities, a lot more than 20. And so this makes Formula One racing, I think, one of the most cutthroat sports there is. If you don't perform well as a driver, you're gone. And so you really have to earn your seat. Even though you're given your seat, you have to earn it. And some can handle this pressure, but most, most cannot. It gets to them. They're never settled. They're wearing the helmet. They're wearing the racing suit. They're in the car, of course, but they never feel secure. And so they take corners slow. And they're cautious. Or if they wreck the car, they're just nervous that somebody in the higher office is just going to cut them and bring that person who's in the wings and take their seat for them. And I think this is how many of us approach Jesus. And how many of us approach Christianity? We know God gives us a seat that we don't deserve. And so many of us live our Christian life with imposter syndrome. We know God gives us a seat we don't deserve, but we think to ourselves, even though we sort of know better, I better not mess this up. And so we feel pressure at every turn, and so we take corners slow. Because if we wreck, we know we might lose our seat with the Lord. But instead, as we saw, James tells us that the Lord gets us a seat by grace. It's a birth, a divine birth. And by that same grace, He keeps our seat. What does He say? The Lord gives more grace. The same grace that, that makes you a follower of Jesus is the same exact grace that keeps you in the Lord. And this gives us boldness. We can rest kind of in this no-take-backs grace of God. Christianity is free of charge. It's a gift from God from beginning to end. And so, yes, as we're about to see, James is all about simple action. Okay? But it is very hard to read a call to action and not slide into an earn-your-seat mindset. Or a fear of losing your seat mindset. So it's crucial that in this first moment of this morning's exploration of James, that we settle down into the truth that faith itself is a free gift. You know, the Apostle Paul sounds a lot like James when he writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, how big is your this when you read this passage? The this includes your faith. It's not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So do you see it? Our faith is a free gift. And that reframes, therefore, how we view acts of love and how we view acts of obedience. They are part of the same gift. Do you see it? Lord prepared these works in advance for us to do. So the very call to action that James gives us is also a gift. You know, there's actually a, one single racer that I know of in Formula One today 
who doesn't feel the same anxiety that the other 19 drivers do. And his name is Lance Stroll. And the reason he doesn't feel that same anxiety is why, you know? His dad owns the team. Okay? That's why. His dad owns the team. And so he knows that he will never lose his seat. And so what you see if you watch these races is you see Lance Stroll, I think, taking corners a little bit boldly, we'll say. He's constantly hitting the wall. He's constantly annoying other drivers because he's running into their car. He is driving with a lot of freedom, we'll say. This is how grace works in James. He's going to call all of us to drive with action, with abandon. To drive full gas, but never to earn our seat. It's because we have it. It's because we have it. And we have it forever. A faith that engages is free of charge, but it's also freedom. What do I mean? Well, James calls these calls to action, to obedience from God, the law that gives freedom. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, chapter 1, verse 25, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So this call to to obedience, this call to action, this summons to do the simple acts of love of neighbor and of God, these are freedom, according to James. And in fact, they are self-benediction. They are blessings. When you spend yourself in costly love, the promise here is that you are more free, and the promise here is that you are actually experiencing blessing. And that is such a different way to thinking about works that I'm accustomed to. Most of us treat works or treat rules or treat calls to action as constraining, right? Not liberating. But I think everybody knows from daily experience that freedom and purpose go hand in glove. So in music, if you're a musician, you know this. If you experience freedom with your instrument, it's because you are submitting to the scale. I have a book in my living room that helps me learn the scales on the guitar. These are are, rules to the fretboard that I must submit to in order to experience the freedom of making beautiful music on a guitar. In sports, I think we always talk about the beauty of an athlete at their peak, don't we? So just go on YouTube and watch Maradona's Goal of the Century. It's so graceful. Alan, right? See. See. It's free. It's effortless. It looks effortless. It looks free. But the truth is, he is submitting to hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of practicing and to thousands of laws, biomechanical laws and otherwise. And when he doesn't, he would get injured. And so this freedom and this flowing sort of effortless athleticism is actually... Submitting to all kinds of laws. But do you see those laws are freedom because law and purpose go hand in hand. 
freedom and purpose go hand in hand. And this is how James understands action or works, as he calls it. He says, works, a faith without works is dead. So works are not something we do to prove our worth to God or to secure our salvation. They are part of the same gift. Faith by itself, he says, if it is not accompanied by action, is a dead faith. Another way of saying this, actually, is that God's gift of faith, the one that he gives his people, is alive. God's gift is better than this. That's all James is saying. James is saying, God's gift of faith is better than this. So imagine this. What if I gave you an Apple Watch as a gift? What if I gave you an Apple Watch for your birthday, and you open it, and no matter what you do, you try to charge it, you try to tap it, you try to reset it, you go to the Genius Bar, if that's what it's still called, and they try to help you out, and then I see you, like, you're a nice person, so you don't, like, come to me and be like, that thing doesn't work, you get me? You know? So you just kind of put it away. But then I see you in a couple weeks, and I say, how do you love your watch? And they say, and you say, I hate to say this, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, it's dead. And then what if I say, yeah, I know. I know, I know it doesn't work. I just wanted to see how bad you wanted it. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. God's free gift of faith is alive. It works. The gift of faith that he gives you works. It just does. It's not broken. It's not dead. It's alive. And here's why. The works that flow from the gift of faith is a gift in itself. It is freedom. Don't you want the freedom to help others? God's gift of faith frees you to help others. So James 1, 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and thoughtless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The faithfulness of God doesn't hold back. Aren't you glad that the faithfulness of God isn't just kept in God's thoughts? Aren't you glad that the faithfulness of God is action? I mean, when you read Scripture and when, you, and when the Lord remembers His people, that word remember is an action verb. When God calls you to mind, He is acting on your behalf. Aren't you glad that God himself helps you, not by sending positive vibes, but by actually sending his son Jesus to live and to die and to be raised under your behalf? The faithfulness of God's people is the same. It pursues faithfulness to God, yes. And that is helpful to the most vulnerable person in the room. That's a feature of your faith. Did you know that? When you got the gift of faith from God Almighty, part of that faith, like when you turned it on, it is immediately you have eyes for the most vulnerable person in the room. And now you have the freedom by the Holy Spirit to actually help. Not in a patronizing way, but in a costly way, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. That is a feature of your faith. It's not something you do to sort of prove God that you deserve to be in His car. No, no, no. It's a feature of your faith. It's freedom. It's freedom. And don't you want that? 
Don't you also want the freedom to face trials as well? So God's gift of faith gives us the freedom to, to sort of persevere. For James says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So the gift of, that God gives, the gift of faith that God gives, also gives us access to patience in the face of disappointment. We entrust ourselves to God's compassion. We entrust ourselves to God's mercy. We entrust ourselves to God's story. We entrust ourselves to the authorship of God, that the story He's writing, of which I am a part, will somehow be for His glory. My good, we entrust ourselves to that, though, to quote Wendell Berry, we have considered all the facts and we're wide-eyed about our disappointments. Don't you want that freedom? Well, that is a feature of your faith, that freedom. And don't you want the freedom to build up others? God's gift of faith gives you that freedom to build others up in your speech. So, chapter 1, verse 19, we are slow to speak. We hold the reign of our tongue, chapter 1, verse 26. Why? So that the most powerful thing in our possession, which is our speech, the most powerful thing in our possession, our words, can be used to build instead of break. That is a feature of your faith. Did you know that? Did you know that a feature of your living faith is that you can now use the most powerful thing in your possession, your words, to build people up? You can hold a rein on your tongue. You can you not say something now. You have that freedom to not say something. The Holy Spirit says, bite your tongue, Joe. And you can. Amen? Or you can become a good listener, which is by itself an amazing action. Not speaking is an amazing action. And you also have access to bless. Because as James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Meaning, our, our, our tongue should only be used to bless, not curse. So can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What is James saying? He's saying... Your heart, your faith, is a fresh water spring. Okay? It's a feature of your faith. We're also given freedom to bless with acts of mercy. We can build up with our actions, in other words, and not break down. This is true religion, says James. Channeling the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, who says this, Thus says the Lord of the hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy each to his brother. Do not oppress. This is called the Quartet of the Vulnerable by Nicholas Folterstorff. The widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. We use whatever influence we have to build an outbreak. Why? Why do we do this? Because it's a feature of our faith. It's the feature of a living faith. And this is what Jesus did to us. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And in this case, we extend mercy because we have received mercy from Jesus. And mercy, friends, is always action. 
The Lord doesn't just have merciful thoughts towards you. The Lord is merciful toward you. He gave His Son who enacted the Lord's love so that we would do the same. So God's gift of faith, friends, is an enacted faith. And this is free of charge. And it is your freedom. It is your freedom. So I just have one question for you this morning to mull over in the coming week. This is a simple question. I'm trying to learn from James, okay? I'm trying to simplify that. What is one simple baby step action that you can make? What is one act of helpfulness that you can take? One act of mercy. One. Just one act of mercy. Or one word you can speak. This week, I dare you to do it. To do it. Not to earn your seat at the Lord's table, but precisely because you have it. What if you mess up? You won't lose your seat at the Lord's table. God has freely freed you. He's freely freed you. He's given everything you need to engage. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about Hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.